As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Every week we pour over all the big news and notes as regards the Blues in the company of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. This week we're reflecting on a cup win against Morecambe, looking ahead to a derby date with Fulham and enjoying a winning return to action for the women's team. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. listener Matt Davis Adams back in your ears to talk you through another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. I'll need some experts or failing that the three men who complete the starting lineup for this show. Uh, Dominic Fifield is one such individual. Hi Dom. Hey Matt how you doing? All right thank you. Uh, Liam Toomey's also with us. How you doing Liam? I'm very good. Hello. And who could forget the great Simon Johnson. You okay Simon? Sorry who, who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. So on Sunday, Chelsea made it through to the fourth round of the FA Cup for the 23rd consecutive season. Not sure enough has been made of just how astonishing that is. Uh, Anyway, Morecambe of League Two didn't put up too much resistance. Chelsea's 4-0 win, ticking lots of boxes for under-pressure boss Frank Lampard. Progress to the next round, tick. Clean sheet, tick. Goals for underperforming players, double tick. You get the idea. Uh, here's a question from Adit, who's tweeted the show to ask, didn't the starting 11 have more to do with Lampard's job being on the line than building confidence in the players? What were your initial thoughts on seeing the team sheet? Simon, you were at Stamford Bridge, so you would have seen that team sheet first. It, it was a bit of a surprise, particularly that there was only one academy player on the bench. I think the only surprise was the the, the bench um, and how strong the bench was. I, I thought given that there was nine subs available to Lampard that to only have Tino Angerin on there. And of course, he wasn't the one that people were talking about ahead of the game anyway. It's the, the likes of Liveramento and Lewis Bates, soon's up Bell. And, and for none of them to sort of be there, you, you just sort of thought there was room for playing a strong team, but having a few kids on the bench in case Chelsea had a comfortable lead as they ended up having and bringing them on late on for an appearance. But yeah, I think it it did just sort of highlight what Lampard's thinking was right now, is that a win had to be secured at all costs, as well as, yes, of course, playing some players with trying to get them some confidence. And 
you have to say is as disappointing as it was for the kids and, and I'm sure they, they felt disappointed too after being involved in training for a number of days to miss out that Lampard made the right call. Chelsea got the win and he also ticked the box of the likes of Werner and Havertz being back on the score sheet and, and getting the lift because of it. Liam, what's Mason Mount got to do to get a rest? I think that, that was the most surprising of the um, of the starting eleven for me. Yeah, I think it was maybe the the ultimate proof that Lampard is not worried about the the shouts of favouritism from certain corners of Chelsea Twitter when it comes to Mount. He always wants him in the team. Clearly, no matter who Chelsea are playing, I think he considers him integral to the way Chelsea play. And Mount scored a very nice goal, didn't he, to break open the game. I actually thought Chelsea looked quite laboured up until that point quite slow and unimaginative in attack. There were, again, a lot of crosses going in towards the diminutive figure of Timo Werner uh, that Morecambe were dealing with quite comfortably. And then Mount's long-range shot, which was actually the kind of goal that Lampard himself used to score quite regularly. Uh, Really nice low strike into the bottom corner, got things going. And we all know how important he is to this Lampard team. And he deserves that status because he consistently plays well. But I I was a little bit surprised that of all games, you wouldn't maybe choose to rest him for this one. Yeah, question here from Toby. He says, will the likes of Lawrence, Sunset, Bell, Bate, Lewis and Livramento get a chance this season, having not made the squad against Morecambe? I guess, Dom, they can look to the likes of Mason Mount and think, well, you know, it, it can happen, albeit they'll be frustrated. The other thing is, as we saw with, with Villa this weekend, the whole of Chelsea's under-23 squad might get a chance at some point. We just don't know. Yeah, that's a really good point on the Villa comparison because the FA Cup is an opportunity for all the clubs still involved for that fourth round draw but but you know there is a possibility that yeah your entire first team squad might be ruled out for a round which makes makes it even more of a lottery than normal it's I mean it is farcical let's let's be honest but it is it is what it is and if Chelsea had to play a 23s or a or a large number of 18s in there in, in a cup side I'd, I'd still quite fancy their chances to be honest uh, they've got probably more greater strength and depth in that regard than, than most clubs out there so there may be an opportunity like that but but to be honest it's if it all goes to plan if, if, if there are no Covid outbreaks down at Cobham in terms of the first team those guys will probably just have to wait and when they look at the likes of Mason Mount they have to remember that that was a a kid who had a whole season playing championship football before he got anywhere near the, the the Chelsea first team really, and their development is 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 a lot further back. I mean, Susan Bell turned seventeen last week, didn't he? Or, or was it the day of the, the game? The day of the game, yeah. yeah. There you go. So, I mean, we, we, we they've got years ahead of them, absolutely years ahead of them to to make their mark. Um, they will have benefited from from training with the first team last week. I think that's that's been brilliant for them. I'm sure. If there was any frustration that they weren't involved on match day, then they will still have benefited from being in around those those first team players, those senior players down at Cobham, and their time will come. But it may not be this season because the reality is that Frank Lampard will continue to be under pressure for the foreseeable future. I mean that that's just the way it's going to be. I mean that any setback suddenly becomes magnified now, unfortunately, after this recent run of of league form. So they may well have to wait for their chance, but their, their time will come. Now that leads us nicely on to the subject of Simon's latest piece for The Athletic, another academy graduate who is trusted by the manager, very much so it seems, in Billy Gilmore. Question here from Andrew who says... 
Big talking point in Scotland is whether or not Billy Gilmore is going to get the minutes needed to break into the national team. Alongside McGinn, McTominay and others, there's a lot of quality and competition. That's probably not on his mind so much at the moment, Simon. I think it's fair to say he's not even at full fitness yet, is he? So it's just about trying to get minutes for Chelsea and then the Scotland thing will happen if it happens, I suppose. Yeah, but I wouldn't underestimate his ambition. And he was actually asked about this. Um, he, he did the pre-match press conference ahead of his start against Krasnodar last month. And whilst he sort of did his best to sort of bat the question away, I, I, I think um, anyone with a Scottish connection will be uh, desperate to be involved in, in what is Scotland's first appearance at a major tournament for 23 years. I mean, who knows... You know, let's be honest. Who knows when Scotland will get there again? You know, given given their record in recent years. And if you're Billy Gilmore, I, I think yes, of course, getting game time for Chelsea is is uppermost in his mind for the for the short term. But he must be sort of thinking, if I can get in this Chelsea team, then inevitably that has to bring me into the reckoning for the Scotland team. Yes, there's a lot of competition, but. He does have a quality that that I think would bless a national squad. Um, not sort of suggesting he starts, but certainly he's got a a strong case if he has a strong end to the season to to be in the in the reckoning. I think in, in Steve Clark's thoughts. So bring it back to Chelsea. The reason why I focused on him is Jorginho and and has continued to disappoint. You have to say just generally. He's not the long-term answer. There's a reason why Chelsea wanted to were, were certainly think about moving him on last summer and will we'll think about moving on, if not this window, then the next summer. N'Golo Kante, Conte rather, after sort of a, a few really good games in the position of, of deep holding midfielder, has had a few disappointing games. So I, I do think it's, it's worthy of debate about whether Billy Gilmore can come in for a few games not saying every game, and perhaps give that midfield the kind of impetus that he gave it almost a year ago when he when he really broke into the reckoning. A couple of other individuals I want to focus on from the Morecambe game before we move on. We ought to just give a brief mention to, to Kepper, that save in the first half. Unbelievable athleticism, I thought. Maybe his best moment in a Chelsea shirt, certainly not far off. Uh, but Havertz and Werner really getting the headlines, Liam. How important are those goals going to be individually but also for their manager. Havertz, again, has been a study of yours. He's very much your muse for The Athletic. Well, I mean, I think he's he's a, he's a worthy point of focus because Lampard is going to be judged in no small part on whether Havertz succeeds and to what extent he, he succeeds in the next few weeks, as well as Chelsea's overall results and performances. I thought he looked OK against Morecambe. He was, he was pretty quiet to start. He grew into the game. Ended up with a with a goal and an assist, including a really nice header, which I think is something actually that that Chelsea can maybe make more use of. This all comes back to finding more opportunities to get him to make late runs into the box, because that's what he does best. And Lampard of all managers should know how effective those types of runs can be. And he's actually really, really good in the air. I tweeted after the game that I think he's probably Chelsea's best attacker in the air after Olivier Giroud because he scored some really good headers for Leverkusen as well. Uh, so that should be good for his confidence and just generally getting more minutes under his belt and getting a little bit more sharpness after COVID should do him good. And for Timo Werner, I thought 
a lot of the game passed him by, which can happen when he's playing through the middle against the team that sits as deep as Morecambe did. Uh, I think if, if Lampard wants to play him through the middle more regularly, it probably has to come against teams that give Chelsea just a little bit more space in behind. Otherwise, it, his usefulness is, is quite limited. If you're going to end up swinging a load of crosses in, that's not Werner's game as such. But um, he took his goal well from a yard. We've seen things go wrong from there for him before so it was it was encouraging for him to to break his goal drought and um only time will tell if it's enough for him to get out of his own head with those types of chances uh but it, it certainly can't be a bad thing uh, we saw Fakayo Tomori come on late in the game Simon Frank Lampard had an update on on him and and his future in his in his post-match press conference didn't he yes he did he confirmed what we've been saying for, for quite a while that yeah he's he's up for alone this month. What I found was a bit odd is that Lampard said the reason he didn't start him is, is to protect him as such from an injury. I think he was inferring that so he'd be able to, to, to get this move, which then sort of begs the point, well, why bring him on late on in the first place? But he clearly is not wanted under this current management. He's barely played in 2020 and, and tomorrow himself is, as you'd expect, is really pushing to leave Chelsea and someone actually told me not just on loan that he actually would be open to leaving permanently um, and he could understand why he's he's a little bit disillusioned because of the, the lack of game time he's had but yeah I'd, I'd be amazed if Tomori is, is still a Chelsea player in any regard come February um, there's a number of clubs um, in for him as you'd expect uh, Ren, who were in for him last summer, are back in for him again. And I think he's, he's quite tempted by that idea to, to try moving abroad. But there, there's, as you'd expect, a lot of clubs interested in domestically. But the primary goal for him is assurances over game time. There's no point in him getting a loan somewhere and being back on the bench. So wherever he moves to, they've got to promise him a regular playing time. And, and quite right too, he needs to get his career back on track. Tom, is it just me that thinks that this is really odd? When, when you look at, at Chelsea's centre-back options, you've got Andreas Christensen who can get knocked down by a feather, Tony Rudiger, who I thought was given a really difficult time by Cole Stockton, particularly in the first half yesterday, and then you've got this England international miles away from the team. It doesn't feel like it's it's based on ability, this decision. From what we've seen of Fikai Tomori on the pitch, it does seem quite baffling that he is uh, on the fringes quite as much as he has been um, and his future may not be at the club. So, yeah, there's an obvious implication there. We're not privy to everything that goes on on the training ground. We don't know how he trains on a daily basis. I mean, that's where he has to impress Frank Lampard and and, uh, force his way into, into the selection. Clearly, he hasn't done that, and let's let's not forget that Lampard doesn't know him. He probably knows him, him and 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 Mount more than any of the the youth team graduates. Given that he was at at Derby with him as well, and and was Derby's player of the year, I think that year when they got to the playoff final. So, yes, I I agree. I think something that there is more to this than than meets the eye, because on ability wise and on potential, he's exactly the type of player that Chelsea should be planning their future around really defensively from what we've seen from what we've seen um, and the fact that they might lose him is 
interesting, intriguing. Yeah, say. well, we'll find out by the end of the month, it would appear. Uh, listener, you'll probably already know by now who Chelsea's opponents are in round four and potentially round five of the FA Cup, should they make it. The fourth round takes place over the penultimate weekend of January. And next up for us today, we're going to leave Stamford Bridge, travel a couple of stops on the district line and pitch up at Craven Cottage. And we're previewing the game against Fulham, basically. <laughs> This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Chelsea's next Premier League assignment against Fulham at Craven Cottage. As we record on Monday morning, the game's due to take place on Friday night. That's the 15th of January. However, in his pre-match interview before the Morecambe game, Frank Lampard seemed to indicate the match might be moved to Saturday. Um, Simon, that's that's because of the situation with Fulham and the fact that they, they might be playing a game on Wednesday. They didn't think they were going to against Spurs, as detailed by, by David Ornstein in his athletic column this morning. It is up in the air and, I mean... Can't really blame the the Premier League and the authorities for this. It's just one of those twenty twenty slash twenty twenty one things. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, in all seriousness, it, it's it, it's that little bit of um, confusion or uncertainty that that Lampard and the Chelsea squad can sort of do without. It's such a massive game. This one um, far bigger, obviously, than Morecambe. You know, Morecambe was was always a must, you know, like an easy win, let's be honest. It, it would have been a sensational shock if they'd lost that one. But it's it's the Premier League where Lampard has to start winning games right away and Fulham has, has always proved quite a tough test. So it, in, in the back of your mind, it's like, well, is the game Friday or Saturday? It, it, it's just that little bit of um, uncertainty that, that Chelsea can do without. But look, priorities, you know, that they're... they're this is the knock-on effects of what is a very serious and continues to be a very serious problem, not just in football, but in uh, in what's going on in the world right now. So um, if it's delayed 24 hours, then who knows? Maybe that will just help sort of the li- the likes of Werner and Havertz who played a lot of the game on Sunday. It just gives them perhaps a bit of extra rest. In terms of team selection for the, this match then, Liam, whenever it happens. Here's my Chelsea TV compadre, Zach, asking who should be our starting wingers in the next couple of games, especially with Callum's great form. I'd go for, for Hudson-Odoi and Ziyech. What about you? Yeah, I think those two are probably the best balance in terms of kind of Lampard's tactical need in this 4-3-3 as well as their recent form. Ziyech hasn't found his best rhythm yet post-injury, but he did put a good ball in 
in in the lead up to to Werner's goal against Morecambe. And I think in a similar way to Bruno Fernandes at Manchester United, what he gives to Chelsea that no one else in this squad does is the willingness to play high-risk passes regularly and the ability to to pull them off. And and so I think that makes Ziyech uniquely valuable. That and the fact that he's the only winger Chelsea have who actually wants to play off the right. And when you're looking at the wingers that play off the left, I mean... I think on form, there's no argument. Every time he's played recently, Hudson-Odoi has has made the most of his opportunity. I think he finally looks back fully in terms of his rhythm and confidence in his body. He's not thinking twice about running at defenders anymore. And he's trying things on the pitch uh, in the way that he was before the Achilles injury. And I think that's when he's at his most valuable and, and dangerous. And at the moment... He's probably Chelsea's best performing winger. And if Lampard really wants to pick his team against Fulham on form, I think Hudson-Odoi should be in it. I guess the other big selection issue, Dom, is is the fact that N'Golo Kante is is missing through suspension. So it's going to be interesting to see whether Billy Gilmore gets picked ahead of, say, Jorginho. I guess we might see the two of them together, although that would feel unlikely. I'd love to see Billy Gilmore start this game, but I do wonder whether... Lampard goes with the more conservative, experienced option of Jorginho, ultimately. But Gilmore would be uh, a, a refreshing choice, let's say, a bit slightly more enterprising, possibly. And I know they, they can both be quite busy on the pitch, but I like the way that Gilmore tends to think going forwards. Um, he's, his first instinct is always to place the ball forward, and I, I suspect that Fulham... We'll, we'll try and sort of make the play quite stodgy and, and, and clutter up midfield and sit deep. And, and, and it may be that Chelsea just need that, that extra little bit of dynamism in the middle and, and a sort of fearless performance from Billy Gilmore will will contribute to that, I, I suspect. The other choice, which is, is, is a massive, massive call from, from Lampard, is who plays through the middle. Does he pick Timo Werner through the middle with, with those wingers? Or does he? I mean, I don't think I don't think Fulham will be playing a high line particularly in this match. Or does he go with a, a Giroud or an Abraham? And what are the implications if he does? Because th- does that mean that that he sacrifices Hudson Odoi, which in, it would be a mistake in in my view, not least because Ziyech and Hudson Odoi seem to have quite a good understanding as well. When when Ziyech is dropping a bit deeper and and playing those passes through for the, the diagonal passes for the for the winger on the opposite flank to run into, so. There are some selection dilemmas here and it may be that Lampard has to be quite brave with them, which will be very interesting to see how he copes with that because, as we said earlier in the in the pod, this, everything, every decision he makes at the moment is being scrutinised within the context of, of where his future lies. Here's a nice easy one for you, Simon. Who has done better in management so far? Frank Lampard getting top four in the cup final or Scott Parker getting full and promoted in his first full season as manager, both former Chelsea midfielders? If we're talking about last season, I would say Lampard still because a relegated team from the Premier League automatically, whether it always plays out or not, automatically are one of the favourites to, to get promotion back again because inevitably they've got a strong squad that's had a, a season of Premier League football. Even if they've dropped out of the division, they've still got a strong squad, certainly for, for the Championship. And Lampard, of course, it was his first season. I suppose Scott Parkey could say the same as first full season, but you know the transfer ban, 
da 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 Eden Hazard, you know, we've heard it all before. But, you know, all the all the reasons why it was a, a difficult first season, very few people expected Chelsea to finish top four, uh, which they did, and, and got to a cup final as well, beating some very good teams to get there. So, yeah, I'd go with, with Lampard for that. But what I would say, though, is Scott Parker, the job he's doing now, particularly after a, a really bad start, he's closing the gap of, considerably. I think he's doing tremendously well to sort of give Fulham a, a fighting chance of, of keeping their Premier League status and I think he'll make it very difficult for Chelsea whether they play Friday or Saturday. Chelsea's record against Fulham is good, to put it mildly. Won the last five, unbeaten in the last 19, all the way back to 2006. A couple of former Chelsea boys in, in the Fulham ranks in Ola Aina and Michael Hector. Uh, athletic subscribers can go back and read Dom's big piece with Hector about how he has no regrets about joining Chelsea, even though he never played for the club. Somebody who's not going to be playing, Liam, is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He's not exactly been setting the world alight in his loan at Fulham. He's not eligible for, for this game, obviously, but... This feels like a massive, massive season in, in his career and so far it's not going the way he would have wanted. Yeah, well, it feels like we've been saying it's a make-or-break season for Loftus-Cheek the last two or three years, haven't we? It's difficult. I mean, it, I think they picked Fulham as a lone destination, him and his camp, because and, and Chelsea, of course, because they were confident that he would play every week albeit in a struggling team, and, and that was the most urgent priority for him. He wasn't actually playing every week at the start. I think things have improved a bit on that front, um, but he's still trying to find his, his best place in, in this team. And I think as as Scott Parker has maybe gone to a more pragmatic style in a bid to, to try and keep Fulham in games, that's probably not helped Loftus-Cheek either in terms of he's a player that, wants to get on the ball a lot and and that enables him to show what he does best so you can only hope that with with regular minutes things will continue to to get steadily better for him and we are you know less than halfway through the season so there's there's still plenty of time but it it's certainly not like the the kind of emphatic bounce back move that I'm sure a lot of people were hoping for him to have uh, at least at least not so far. But like I said, I think Loftus-Cheek's still got time to get a bit of momentum here and then we, we'll probably look back on this in, in kind of March, April and, and, and reassess where things have gone for him. I disagree with a, a bit of that um, on as much, in as much as if, if Parker, Parker's Come main... Come at me, Dom. Come <laughs> at me, Dom. Parker's main tactical switch in terms of creating some solidity in that in that team has been to drop Mitrovic. Um, you know they they were about width and whipping crosses in for for the Serbian striker to to nod in, and and the reality is they they've they've gone to a more p- attempt to be more possession based and and almost flooding midfield and all about industry down the flanks, whether that be wing backs, whether that be you know Declan over Reed playing as a as a wing back stroke centre forward or the sort of fluid adaptation to to these tactics and I mean Loftus-Cheek would would fit into that I would would argue because he may be one of their best attacking midfielders in terms of running from deep in in terms of keeping possession he obviously wants to play in possession that's what he learned at Chelsea that's where he's played his best football I mean yes he's he's not had a regular 
starting place on the pitch. I mean, he's, he's, he's been used all over the place. He's, he's been used in central midfield and quite deep. He's been used as a an eight pushing on. He's, he even came on against Newcastle as a centre forward in a in their one all draw at, at St James's Park recently. But I think he'll get a lot of game time. I think he'll be one of the key players in that. I don't know whether it's a three four three or whether it's a a four five one or whatever whatever the whatever the sort of solid base that Parker puts into that team. I think I think I think he will be the man pushing on from midfield, um, attempting to score the goals with with Anguissa and and Reed sort of sitting back and and allowing him to play. He can flourish with. In, in that system, he, he he can do it. He's done it before. Did it at Palace when he was unknown there. The biggest um, question with with Loftus Cheek is, does he have a future at Chelsea? I mean, the, the very fact that he's on such a a lucrative contract at Chelsea, he, he's a, an ambitious young man still who wants to play for his country. He wants regular Premier League football. Is he going to get that at Chelsea next season? As it stands, probably not, just because of the competition for places. Is there another club out there that's going to be willing to pay him, for, well, pay Chelsea first a, a fee to take him and then to, to pay his wage on, on a comparative level to what he's earning at the moment? I, I, I don't know on that front. And, and I, I do worry whether Loftus-Cheek is now sort of stuck in in this interminable cycle of loans elsewhere and, until his his contract is ticking far down towards resolution. It just it seems a very awkward and strange situation for someone to be in when, when you when you hark back to the, the pre-Achilles Ruben Loftus-Cheek who was making his mark in this Chelsea team I think that to me that's quite sad yeah he's almost like a, a luxury brand Lewis Baker at the moment isn't he well he won't be involved in the game against Fulham whenever that happens we will bring you uh, our reaction to it on next week's pod This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So it's a short turnaround post-Fulham. Chelsea back in league action at Leicester on Tuesday night. We'll bring you next week's pod a day later than normal so we can reflect on that. Uh, Listener, we've got a new offer for you. You can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod for all the info. Approaching stoppage time for this week's show, let's check back in with the women's team who returned to action following their winter break. It didn't include any trips to Dubai, hence Sunday's game at Reading went ahead. Uh, the Royals, though, could be forgiven for wishing it hadn't. Chelsea stormed to a 5-0 win. Frank Kirby got four of them, including a first-half hat-trick. Jiso Young capping a fine win 
with the fifth. It means that Chelsea is second in the table, three points behind Man United, but with a game in hand and a superior goal difference. Liam, brilliant to see Kirby back to her best. She's had all sorts of problems health-wise, fitness-wise. Uh, it looks as though that she's at, at peak Frank Kirby levels again, though. Yeah, Kirby was pretty spectacular, wasn't she? A first half perfect hat trick, no less, and then uh, and then another header, um, a fantastic header in the second. She could have had another one as well. She she smashed a, a long range shot off the off the post, which looked like it was heading for for top bins. Kirby looks really good. Maybe. Playing against the former club motivated her. Maybe the fact that Reading appeared to be playing an onside trap also helped because Chelsea got in behind so many times. It was incredible. But she looks really good and and Chelsea on the whole look as good going forward as you would expect them to. Uh, I, know, I know Sam Kerr didn't get on the score sheet, but she was a constant menace and you got you know Penilla Harder as well. And it's... It's a, an embarrassment of riches, which we've talked about before for Emma Hayes. So the fact that Kirby is um, is back in form can only be a, a big, big positive and, and, and Chelsea are in a good position. Well, the Blues' Conti Cup quarterfinal with Manchester City was due to take place this midweek. It's been postponed because of City's COVID outbreak. The next game for Emma Hayes, as I mentioned, that clash against table-topping United on Sunday. That's the 17th of January. Uh, that'll just about do it for this week. Before we go, though, let's see what the chaps have been writing for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Simon, we mentioned your Billy Gilmore piece. You've also been looking at Chelsea's biggest transfer flops <laughs> through the lens of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Yeah, we're obsessed. We're obsessed with flops. I, I didn't write purely about flops, um, but um, no, the, the point of the article was perhaps just to almost in Vernon Havertz's defence is to sort of just highlight that they're not the only ones that have come to Chelsea for a lot of money and, and, and struggled. Didier Drogba's been written about to death, it seems, by us and by many other people. But again, it's worth highlighting, you know, these first two seasons, as, as I point out in the piece, Drogba only started 38 Premier League games. He was by no means this this Chelsea legend that he went on to become. And, uh, you know, and I, I discuss... Many others, some that have worked, some that are perceived to have failed, like Hernan Crespo, but actually, whilst you wouldn't say he was a resounding success, he, he certainly made a contribution by explaining why, certainly his first season, why it's, it tailed off spectacularly. So, so yeah, I, I just think that, that whilst the Werner and Havertz debate continues, and for good reason, because it's a it's a big factor in why there are questions being asked of, of Lampard, that, that, that perhaps we look back at, previous buys and and why perhaps it's uh, not always a big buy is an instant uh, guarantee of success. Uh, Dom, you've got a piece up on the site making the case for Frank Lampard to be given more time. What else are you working on? Well, as of about 10 minutes ago, I appear to be working on a piece about uh, the music played in dressing rooms. And I, I suspect this is, this is best, I suspect this has been inspired by uh, Chorley's Super. players strangely starting to sing Adele songs in victory uh, yeah so early days on that one but but uh, I imagine the next few days will be taken up with a few calls well it's good that grime is a natural part of the five field wheelhouse so you'll be able to dip into your vast knowledge of that subject I'm sure <laughs> uh, Liam what have you got on your on your agenda over the next week well, you'll all be stunned to hear that I've got a piece on Kai Havertz currently <laughs> up on The Athletic. Did you get that blue tack I sent you to put that poster up on the wall? 
No, no, no blue tack. Marks the walls, Dom. Can't do it. Um, uh, it'll just stick up there with with pure admiration. Um, but no, uh, that's a grim. <laughs> we'll be working on a on a, on a few things, kind of quiet at the back. Um, we'll, we'll be working on a few things academy related um, the, this week without giving too much away. Um, and also looking into a couple of things to do with to, to do with Chelsea loanees. Uh, I'm particularly interested by the the ongoing Serie A odyssey of Timo Bakayoko. Uh, so I, I might be writing something about that for relatively soon. And we're we're working on a on a bigger piece about Hakim Ziyech as well. Excellent. Remember, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod for all the info. Don't forget, we'll be with you a little later than usual next week as we react to the game at Leicester. In the meantime, if you could rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, all that stuff, that would be tremendously helpful. Thanks as ever to Simon, Liam, Dom and producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener, from all of us here for now. It's goodbye. Hello, listener. It's me, Matt, here. Wouldn't you know it, just after we finished recording, the Premier League did indeed confirm that Chelsea's game at Fulham will now take place on Saturday, the 16th of January, with a 5.30pm kickoff time. (laughs) 